Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And joining me for today's podcast is Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Luke, I am excited. You have some craziness from athens Clark County for us today. Uh, but before we get into that, we are going to share with you a conversation that I had with Jill Nolan from Georgia Recorder. She's been following this dispute over how coal ash can be disposed of. And this is an issue that means a lot to our friends in middle Georgia who are discovering that their water is not as clean as it should be. Uh, then we are going to have this update from you, Luke, on some interesting shenanigans out of athens Clark County, the district attorney race, and a wild school board member they got over there. Uh, but first, before we get into that, let me share with you my conversation with Jill Nolan. Today, we are welcoming back to the podcast, Jill Nolan, a reporter at Georgia Recorder. And Jill, you spent some time in the last week in Juliet, Georgia, a little north of Macon, talking with residents about their water. Why are people in Juliet concerned about their water quality? Yeah, um, and first of all, Kyle, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the chance to talk about this. Yeah, so I drove down to Juliet last Tuesday for a community meeting uh, that was arranged for residents concerned about contaminants or, or possible contaminants in their well water. Uh, it was an opportunity for them to also learn more about the, you know, whether the toxins may be coming from the uh, massive coal ash pond at Plant Shearer, which is um, really nearby for a lot of them. The meeting was arranged uh, by the Ottawa Hall Riverkeeper, which for those who don't know is a group that looks out for the Ottawa Hall River and its tributaries. Uh, that includes the Okmulgee River, uh, which runs through Juliet. So that's how they kind of got involved in all this. And the Riverkeeper is using grant money to test the water um, in dozens of homes near the plant. And the organization says they've found coal ash contaminants such, such as hexavalent chromium in those tests. And for those who don't know, hexavalent chromium is known to cause cancer, and it, it, it's the same chemical that was at the center of the movie Aaron Brockovich. So some people have had their worst fears confirmed by these tests. Um, others are still waiting for the results, but are expecting bad news about their well water. So it remains to be seen just how many people are affected by this, but the Riverkeeper says its tests have revealed um, hexavalent chromium in 85% of the wells tested. Uh, but they say in every case, they found one or more of the chemicals reported by the uh, utilities monitoring wells to be leaking. And the group, by the way, is hoping to fund um, about um, a thousand tests for the homes in the area. And so far, they've done um, about 80. Wow. So from your reporting, can you tell us a little bit about how this sits with residents? How are people feeling about their water? And what lengths are people having to go to to ensure that they have clean water to drink and use in their homes? Yeah. Um, so as you can imagine, um, local residents are pretty upset about this, but they're also, you know, really scared, you know, because they can't drink their, their own well water. Um, and for a lot of people, they rely on well water. I tagged along with the Riverkeeper to conduct a test, and the uh, homeowner, um, who's a, a father of five children, was near tears talking about how worried he, he is about the, uh, you know, the damage that long-term exposure may have already had you know, to his kids. You know, and everyone I talked to, they're, they're finding kind of their own way to get uh, clean water you know, that made the most sense economically for them, because as, as you can imagine, this is 
an added expense that can add up pretty quickly. Um, one man I talked to said he buys you know, pallets of bottled water. Uh, there was a you know, grandmother I talked to who said she's lugging multiple five-gallon jugs of water into her home each week. You know, and, and but there's just a lot of frustration about even kind of the more minor inconveniences. You know, um, talked to several residents who said they they they're missing out on some of the simple pleasures in life, such as you know you're no longer enjoying a warm shower because um, they just don't really want to take a shower anymore, um, or not being able to you know grow a garden. So some of this stems from this dynamic of new ways of producing electricity in Georgia. And as Georgia Power, the state's largest utility, begins to retire some of their coal-fired power plants, the methods that the utility uses to dispose of coal ash, which is the residue from producing electricity at these coal-fired power plants, some of these methods have come under scrutiny. So what does Georgia Power propose to do with some of their coal ash disposal sites, and how does that plan differ from the way in which coal ash is being disposed of in other states? Yeah, um, so the utility is in the process of closing 29 coal ash ponds at nearly a dozen current or former plants, um, and not all the coal ash ponds in Georgia are getting the same treatment. Um, Georgia Power plans to excavate 19 ash ponds, uh, but 10 others will be closed in place using what the utility calls, quote, proven engineering methods and closure technologies. For the ones that are left, that means leaving them a place without a liner to help contain the toxins in the coal ash. Um, a lot of advocates here in Georgia point to Duke Energy in North Carolina, which recently announced that it would move most, most of its coal ash into line landfills. Some states, like Virginia, passed bipartisan, a bipartisan measure banning so-called, the so-called practice of capping in place, which is what um, Georgia Power is proposing to do for some of the um, ponds here. Uh, there's a bill in Georgia that, that would re- require coal ash to be moved to line landfills, and proponent, proponents here are calling that the banana pill bill because they argue it would require coal ash to be treated as seriously as household garbage. Um, but it faces an uphill battle in this legislature. We've talked a little bit before about this process Georgia Power went through seeking a rate increase on ratepayers in the state. Who is going to pay for the funding needed for Georgia Power's plans to deal with their coal ash? Yeah, that falls to Georgia Power ratepayers. Um, the elected Public Service Commission recently signed off on Georgia Power's request to collect um, about $525 million from ratepayers over the next few years to cover some of its coal ash cleanup costs. You know, and now, you know, the utility is working on getting permits from the uh, state EPD to actually execute those plans. But yeah, it, it, the cost definitely, it, it falls to Georgia Power ratepayers. So Jill, you mentioned that there's some new legislation on this issue. What else can you say about how lawmakers are reacting to Georgia Power's plan for how they will dispose of their coal ash? Sure. Uh, so Democrats oppose the, the uh, closure in place plans. And, you know, I thought it would be interesting to catch up with some of the Republican lawmakers, um, you know, who uh, have collage ponds in their districts. And, and it was interesting. One of them, Representative Rick Williams, um, who represents Milledgeville, um, he pressed the utility to remove the coal ash at Plant Branch. And, and he succeeded in doing that, that they're in the process of, of excavating that coal ash and moving it to a lined landfill. Yeah, but as you know, Georgia Power is incredibly influential at the Capitol, so there aren't exactly a lot of outspoken critics on the right. And what is the likelihood that additional coal ash disposal requirements are passed in the legislature this year? 
The bill requiring coal ash to be stored in lime landfills received a lot of media coverage when it was first introduced, and it's considered a priority bill by House Democrats. And just as a side note, House Leader Bob Trammell signed the bill from his hospital bed after having an unexpected surgery early in the session. So that's sort of a statement there um, about where it falls in the uh, on you know for their priorities. Um, but it really faces tough odds here in Georgia. You know, and if nothing else, the proposal may raise the profile of this issue with House Democrats who you know, are, of course, hoping to flip the House this fall. Um, but there is another coal ash bill um, that may have a better shot. That bill, um, SB 123, would require local governments to collect more money for the coal ash being brought into Georgia. Right now it's cheaper to bury household garbage than it is to bury coal ash, and proponents argue that these coal ash imports shouldn't be subsidized. Um, that's a Senate bill with bipartisan support uh, with you know, much better chances of probably going somewhere this year. So is there anything else for our listeners that is worth knowing about this situation? Yeah, what struck me as interesting um, was, you know, clearly the local residents, uh, what they really want is a water line to be extended to their homes. And what, was, what kind of arose in all this to me was this interesting question of, of who should pay for that. Some have suggested that locals should, you know, essentially, you know, tax themselves to cover the cost. But, you know, it's pretty clear that residents believe that Georgia Georgia Power has a role to play there. So this discussion is part of our ongoing series with Georgia Recorder, where we hear about some of your reporting from the State House and issues at the State House that have impacts in communities across our state. Are there other stories y'all are working on at Georgia Recorder that our listeners should keep an eye out for this week? Sure. Well. So, as your listeners probably know, things have kind of come to a standstill at the Capitol over the budget. So, we have um, pretty much decided to turn our attention exclusively to covering the budget this week. So, you'll you know, definitely see a lot of coverage related to those ongoing dis- discussions, which is creating a good bit of tension, um, especially between the um, House Speaker Ralston um, in the House, where the, the budget, of course, starts, and the uh, governor, who's proposed a lot of these budget cuts. All right. Well, we will certainly keep an eye out for those. Jill Nolan is a reporter at Georgia Recorder. She's got two great stories on this coal ash issue that you will find in our show notes this week. Jill, thanks so much for taking a few minutes of your time to tell us about your reporting. Of course. Anytime. All right. So one more thing for today's podcast Luke, athens Clark County District Attorney Ken Malden announced that he would retire effective February 29th. In a news release, Malden said that he was looking forward to getting to the next step of his life, and he clearly seemed to want an early retirement because Malden had said previously that he would serve out the rest of his term. Now, this is, you know, the athens Clark County District Attorney, our uh, listeners may be wondering why we would bring this to you as a podcast segment Uh, But Luke, this creates another appointment opportunity for Governor Kemp. And so we wanted to discuss the implications of that. Luke, why does this matter that Ken Malden resigned? And why does it matter when he resigned? Well, Kyle, the the place I would want to start is uh, at the why Kim Mulgang is doing this. I don't know Kim Mulgang. I haven't talked to him about it, but I I have some theories. Uh, You know, the, the first is that 
I, I do think that Kim Mulgan wants to get on to the next stage of his life. Um, there's lots of signs of that. He's said that repeatedly. And the other thing is, is when his wife was running to be a judge in Athens, Clark and Oconee County's last uh, campaign cycle, he also said that, you know, he would be willing to step down from his position of DA if she won to avoid conflicts of interest, which I think would have been the right call for him on that front. And so I, I, I think it's kind of indisputable that Kim Mulgan was was done being DA and as someone who likes to move on to the next stage of my life when that opportunity comes up I I am I understand emotionally why he probably wants to move on what I'm going to be watching about this though is if either of the Mulgans end up getting a a appointment (laughs) to a a judgeship or some other uh, position uh, in the the next couple months because usually when things happen like this out of the blue that that tends to be uh, the the you know, the impetus behind it is it's timing out some other political uh, goal or convenience. The other reason why I wonder if there's more behind this besides Kim Mulgan wanting to move on is because of just how steep the implications are for this. Um, So as you mentioned, Kyle, uh, Governor Kemp will get to appoint a temporary DA, but there is a question on the timing. So as you mentioned again, uh, Kim Mulgan will be resigning at the end of this month, February 29th. And when he resigns, though, Kemp does not have to immediately appoint the new DA. You know, someone will step in and be a temporary DA uh, until Kemp appoints. But if Kemp waits and he doesn't appoint anyone for several months and he waits until May 3rd, then the election will get delayed for two years, which obviously is a pretty big deal since there's two campaigns already running and you know as i think we've had on the show deborah gonzalez is is running a very very different platform uh than ken mulgan and so even if ken mulgan does not get an appointment or there's no kind of like quid pro quo deal with uh brian kemp about him resigning Deborah was running to be a very different DA than King, and I mean, basically, her election would be a pretty fierce repudiation of his legacy as a Clark County DA. So, you know, there, there's already some pretty clear reasons why uh, Ken might not be against the idea of not letting Deborah be the next DA. So, Deborah Gonzalez is the highest profile candidate running to succeed Ken Malden as district attorney. Who is the other candidate in that race? The other uh, candidate in the race is Brian Patterson, and he is just the uh, assistant uh, district attorney in the office. I think he's the chief assistant district attorney. Uh, so, he, he's basically one of Ken Malden's number twos. He would be a continuation of. Uh, what Mulgan has done in the position. And, I mean, from all intents and purposes, I have not met a Patterson supporter. I am sure they're out there, <laughs> but I don't know who they are. Um, and so, uh, you know, he he's getting kind of screwed too, potentially, but I, I don't think anyone was of the opinion that Patterson had a real chance, uh, especially with just how far to the left Athens Clark has gotten uh, in recent elections and just the fact that criminal justice reform has been one of those places where Republicans have been sympathetic to the more progressive view of things. I think it was not this was not a place where there was a organic political solution 
in the form of an election that would beat Deborah Gonzalez. I, I and I think that is why we're seeing that they have employed another method of potentially preventing her from taking that this office in suppressing the vote by you know the ultimate means of eliminating the election entirely. Yeah, so Deborah Gonzalez is out with a statement already. Uh, Let's listen to a little bit of that statement. A law passed by the state of Georgia in 2018, not coincidentally in connection with the Douglas County election for district attorney, in which a progressive woman of color was challenging the establishment, now allows the governor to appoint his own district attorney and gives him the power to choose to delay the election of a new DA based on when he appoints the successor. If the governor makes the appointment by May 3rd, six months prior to the general election, he can call a special election to be held at the same time as the general election on November 3rd, 2020. If he makes the appointment after May 3rd, however, there will be no election for district attorney in 2020, and the person he appoints would not have to face an election, nor the people, until 2022. Let me make clear exactly what that last option means. It means that the people of Athens, Clark, and Oconee counties will have their right to choose their own elected official taken away from them, taken away from us. It is the ultimate form of voter suppression. Not only would the people of this community be suppressed from casting a vote if government can't makes that particular choice, the very election could be suppressed and would be taken away from them. Luke, what is your reaction to her statement? Do you agree that if this election is ultimately canceled for 2020 and pushed off until 2022, does that constitute an act of voter suppression on the account of Governor Kemp? I, I think it's kind of, it's undeniable because this is not a situation where like, oh, Kim Melvin like has cancer and like, you know, like is sick or he died and, and it's, it's after the deadline. I mean, it's, it's February 8th today while we're recording this. Kemp has a lot of notice and he could find someone to appoint before May 3rd. I mean, that's several months. And, you know, if he, if he appoints someone who currently has a private practice, sure, they need to wind that practice down, but he could announce who they are. They could appoint him before, him or her, excuse me, uh, before the May 3rd date. And so I, I think this is going to be a situation that is just so clear and blatant in them rigging the rules and picking a, you know, picking a time that is convenient for their political needs rather than any other factor. That being said, even if they appoint someone before the May 3rd deadline, it does change the political implications of the race somewhat. I don't think it would be nearly as effective in preventing Deborah uh, Gonzalez from being the next DA of Athens. And that would be uh, something we're very familiar with uh, in this program and in Georgia. It would create a jungle primary. And so uh, whoever Kemp appoints to be uh, DA would probably, I imagine, keep running and go on a, you know, in a, in a jungle race with Deborah if Brian Patterson continues to run with him as well. And, you know, effectively, that that would be a tougher win for Deborah because at least as of right now, um, she 
is only facing Patterson in a Democratic primary, and she doesn't have a Republican opponent uh, who she'd be facing in November. So, she, you know, the, we're, we're back to the good old, you know, the good old one-party state days of Georgia, where when you win the primary, you win the, the general uh, practically in Athens sometimes. And so, you know, De- Deborah would have a change in her political calculations. It wouldn't delay her taking the office because even if she won the Democratic primary under the, the current situation, she wouldn't be sworn in until January. Um, so, you know, that that would be less of a voter suppression situation um, and more of just a uh, tactical difference compared to canceling the election outright for two years. So this is the second instance that we've discussed on this show where Governor Kemp's appointment power may ultimately result in a delayed election. When Georgia Supreme Court Justice Robert Benham announced that he would uh, retire early from his seat, that keyed up another appointment for Governor Kemp. And that appointment, because of that timing, allowed him to effectively delay by two years a Georgia Supreme Court election. Luke, he has that opportunity again here. Do you think that there should be a discussion about changing the governor's appointment power um, to maybe at minimum not affect the elections calendar when he makes an appointment? I, I think so, especially when it's, you know, one of these non-emergency vacancies where it's far more planned. I don't think it's in anyone's interest for uh, the, you know, the rules of the game to be so malleable just based off of what is convenient for people um and you know for for these public servants the you should really fill out you know finish up your terms and i know for both you know Mulgan and bingham they they've been in these positions for a really really long time and you know they're getting they're getting up there in their twilight years and uh they're wanting to do different things with their lives but you know it, it's not like they had that much longer to go uh you know kim Mulgan has less than a year Bingham about the same and so really this is just a place where I think the state could do better um and you know for Kemp I would hope he would view this as an opportunity to not piss off his hometown and to just you know let let democracy have its way uh, especially because of the fact, like, people will not forget this. This is not something that anyone in Athens will be happy about and that they are losing their opportunity to choose the DA that they want. And I think he's just opening himself up to a lot of political controversy that he just doesn't need. Um, and there's a lot going on in the state right now, and Kemp's fighting a lot of wars on a lot of different fronts, and I just don't see, for him, the political convenience of having an Athens DA for two years, because, like, let's be honest here, if Kemp does decide, because it is effectively his decision, because even Kim Mulgan, you know, despite my, my general wondering if there's some deal here kim mulgan publicly at least has asked kemp to appoint someone quickly to the position and not cause the election to be delayed the only thing that kemp is going to get out of this if he does delay the election by two years is royally piss off athens clark county and maybe even some parts of Oconee county because they're part of the same uh judicial district and elect someone as radical or just elect Deborah in two years and, you know, have everyone 
in Athens be really pissed off about Kemp and his decision. And, you know, coincidentally, in 2022, someone by the name of Brian Kemp is also up for election. And so I, I don't know if he wants to really encourage athens Clark County to have more reasons to be pissed off at him, especially at this time when he's pissing off a lot of other people. So, I, you know, I think this is a place where Kemp could easily, like, throw a bone <laughs> to athens Clark by not doing this. Um, you know, maybe well, you should, appoint, that maybe that... should appoint Deborah. That would be a great surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I actually, I could think of reasons that he would want to either delay an election or appoint somebody that he thought could win it. Um, although I think the best play for Governor Kemp here in terms of leveraging his own power would be to delay the election. Um, you know, when you think about the fact that Governor Kemp is from Athens, he may have just a little bit more personal feeling about the policies that are that are put in place there. Um, Governor Kemp has also taken a step back from criminal justice reforms that were supported in a bipartisan vote in the legislature, really championed by Governor Deal. Um, he is in the budget that he has proposed, he has proposed reducing funding for public defenders, increasing funding that would go towards efforts to combat gangs in the state. If Governor Kemp feels strongly on this issue of criminal justice reform, and particularly if he does not like the the direction in which Deborah would take it, it, it would seem to me he would have more incentive there to, to throw his weight around here. Um, the other thing I think the bet maybe you could make if you're Governor Kemp is the person that you appoint eventually is going to run as an incumbent on the ballot in either 2020 or 2022. You know, we've sought to actually raise people's interests in issues in elections like district attorneys races. That's why we talked to Deborah. That's why we've been talking about this issue of criminal justice reform. It, it matters particularly for that position as a DA. But that doesn't mean that everybody cares all that much about it. I don't know that it is as much of a slam dunk in 2022 that somebody who has an incumbent by their name who maybe only takes marginal steps in the direction of criminal justice reform much more in line with where governor kemp would want it to be than somebody who is running as out front on that issue the way that deborah gonzalez is uh that 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 person maybe has a chance to win if voters aren't paying attention um, so I do think that there well, I, is an I, I, opportunity I would push for Kemp. So in many jurisdictions, Kyle, I think you would be right. But like, let's be let's be honest and just go go through some facts here. Like, whoever Kemp appoints is going to be a Republican or someone who runs as an independent. But literally every single person in Clark County will know that it's a Republican. And Deborah, I I know Deborah pretty well, and I have seen her operating Athens Clark she's not going to go anywhere like if if kemp does this she'll just campaign for two years and and clark county outnumbers oconee uh entirely when it's the whole uh you know the whole uh two counties comparatively by population by vote so i i would be very surprised if anyone that brian kemp would appoint who wouldn't just a like the only way i think you would survive as a da who got appointed in this circumstance is if you adopted pretty wholesale a lot of aggressive district attorney criminal justice reforms that we've been seeing and you have to be pretty loud and out front with that because anyone who is even marginally the status quo 
uh, here is just not going to survive because that's effectively what's been happening to every elected position in Clark County. We went from having a mayor uh, in Nancy Densing, who I bet Brian Kemp had very little problems with, to Kelly Gertz, who, you know, not as, not as uh, progressive or as radically, or radically progressive, I guess I would say, than, you know, some members of the commission like Tim Densing or Mariah Parker, but a significant change from uh, Nancy Densing, and anyone would agree to that. Um, and I, I just, and, you know, we have uh, our longtime Athens Clark County Sheriff being challenged by someone who's more progressive. Pretty much every county commissioner, even the fairly progressive ones, have had challengers from the left. And I, maybe, maybe someone, if they were really good politically and had a lot of support from, uh, you know, some areas of the athens clark community could survive under these circumstances but i i would i i'm just very doubtful of that um just well because i think of the... i think the alternative is you know maybe that person ultimately ends up losing the alternative would be an election that deborah gonzalez likely could win in 2020 and then probably no competition for her in 2022 if you're thinking about making and this is super marginal this is not you probably not the difference between Kemp winning or losing in 2022. But if you're thinking about marginally enhancing your numbers down ballot everywhere that you can, um, if you gave even 100 people a reason to turn out in favor of Governor Kemp's appointed district attorney in a competitive race in 2022, when Kemp is also on the ballot, that's 100 more people than are going to show up if there is no competition for Deborah Gonzalez. And on the other hand, if you are somebody who is going to vote against Governor Kemp and their appointed district attorney, and you're voting on that issue, you're probably not voting for Governor Kemp in 2022 anyways. And you probably are voting, you probably already are voting for the Democratic nominee for governor, whoever that person is. Um, so I can imagine there, I mean, it's very marginal. Um, it's a handful of votes here and there. Um, but it seems to be, you know, a lot of long shot upside for Governor Kemp with very little downside risk if he really wants to throw his weight around yeah i mean that's probably true this is uh, this is just an example i think of the problem that our democracy faces uh lately which is that republicans win elections by playing the system and playing the rules rather than winging it in a fair fight and i i you know f enjoy it while you know they should enjoy it while they can because i i think the days of that being a successful strategy are really starting to diminish because at least so far i've just seen people get more and more engaged when uh the republicans have done these types of things rather than becoming apathetic or giving up and so you know i might be wrong but i i am almost certain that if kemp makes this appointment late and re it results in a two-year delay that deborah will just keep running for two years and uh whoever that appointed da is will have a really really crappy time being the da of athens because they'll just constantly be criticized uh unless they just wholesale adopt criminal justice reform which as you mentioned does not seem to be a huge priority of governor kemp now the power dynamic that we've discussed here, I think, suggests that it's unlikely that the legislature would change the impact of a gubernatorial appointment on the elections calendar. They presumably would have to uh, change the law and then have the votes to override 
a veto from the governor, I mean, you can imagine that any governor would veto something that would, in an abstract sense, take away some of their authority. Um, so it seems unlikely that that law would change anytime soon unless Democrats were controlling the legislature, right? Uh, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think so. The, the only avenue in which I would see this getting changed would be in the attempt to uh, change the nature of the Kelly Loeffler Senate seat election and trying to get Doug Collins in there as if, you know, if anyone uh, wanted to change the appointment power a little more wholesale and take an opportunity to amend it in some way, shape, or form. I think that could be a place uh, where that could happen because, you know, there there are plenty opportun- uh, plenty of opportunities I can think of where Republicans who disagree with Kemp could get thrown off in an election like this. And so, like, right right now, you know, like, this is this is hurting Athens-Clark County, it's hurting Democrats, and it's hurting, you know, progressives, but there's plenty of places and times where uh, Republicans could be equally uh, hurt um, by Kemp's moves in this direction. And the thing I'm really wondering now, after, you know, now that we've seen this happening a couple times is if this is something that Kemp is encouraging to have happening, uh, you know, trying to make these appointments um, that cancel elections. Because, you know, two times in such a short uh, amount of uh, time is starting starting to be look more than coincidental in my mind. But we, we shall see. So, Luke, before we go today... There's more shenanigans going on in Athens with a new appointee to the Clark County Board of Education. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there and who this really interesting character is uh, at the center of a a dispute that spans a congressional district election and a state board or and a local board of education appointment? Yeah, so Antoine Stevens, if you have been in Athens politics or even around Athens politics, Antoine is probably one of those people's names who's come up. Um, and I think the fairest thing to call Antoine is a perennial candidate and putting candidate in like quotations because he's had a real fun habit of uh, filing to run for offices that he is not qualified for. And by that, I mean he literally is too young to hold the position. So even if he somehow won, he would not be able to take the position, um, which, you know, is is kind of an impediment to winning uh, races. But, you know, he has filed for Congress, state representative, governor. uh, And, I mean, if there's a political position, Antoine has held it. You know, in like 2010 and 2011, he was in a Tea Party group. Uh, Shortly after that, he tried to run for uh, Young Democrats of Georgia uh, statewide board position. And, you know, seeing him with pictures of uh, Trump rallies. And now apparently he's a Democrat and hates Trump. So I guess that's what we're doing today with Antoine. Uh, You know, very curiously, uh, you know, our current elected mayor in Athens-Clark County, Kelly Gertz, he raised roughly uh, $60,000 for his successful campaign. Antoine claimed that he raised $102,396. As someone who has worked on a lot of campaigns, let me tell you that that number is fake. I don't care who you are. Someone like Antoine, who's never held elected office before, and who is a perennial candidate, who's never won anything, I I would sell you every... I, I would give you every possession I own for free if that number is true. Uh, if it's even close to true. 
And really, this is this is the you know because a lot of my friends have been texting me this week like how much trouble is Antoine in, uh, and if Antoine does not end up in jail after all of the investigations uh, uh, for this, because he has not only this very fake $100,000 number for the mayor's race, which he did not even complete, by the way. Like, he wasn't even on the ballot. He did not make it to November, or sorry, May, uh, in, in that race. He also started running against Doug Collins, which is a little bit of a problem because he won't be 25 until June of 20, uh, 2021, which means he couldn't actually take the position uh, if he won it. He did not file anything for the congressional race, and he probably actually did raise some money there because both Alyssa Milano and Preet Bharara uh, had tweaked links to his ActBlue fundraising account. So I assume he probably raised something just because of those tweets. He can't report anything that he did with that money. So God knows what he's done. So there, there's no question that he is... Uh, in trouble with the FEC, and he's in trouble with the Georgia Ethics Commission. Uh, and the only but thing on that, top- well, I was going to say, the only thing that might save Antoine is the fact that he might not have ever actually raised money, and so he hasn't done anything illegal with money that didn't exist. So then on top of that, he is now an appointed member of the Clark County Board of Education. Luke, why is he on the Clark County Board of Education? And uh, there's also a dispute over his educational record too, right? Yes. So the re, you know, let me start with the education record thing because that will be easier to address. When another reason why I think Antoine is lying about the $100,000 uh, number is because he was lying about graduating from Seeger Shoals uh, High School, which is one of the high schools in Athens. And that was one of the arguments that he made as to why he should be appointed to the Athens Clark County uh, School Board. As to your larger question as to why Antoine is on the school board, let me just say this as diplomatically as possible. The athens Clark County School Board right now is a dumpster fire. Like, the, there is no amount of gasoline you could pour on it to make it be burning any hotter or worse. Because they've... I, I don't know why things have gone so bad, um, but there's been a lot of fights between the school board and the now soon-to-be former uh, superintendent, uh, Desmond Means... And really, I think this goes back to us having a very strong superintendent uh, in Charles Lanoue for a while. And after he left, the school board kind of realized, oh, we have power and authority. And they started to try to use it and uh, have really been struggling to kind of like find their place, Um, you know, both in a positive way of like using their actual authority and trying to hold the superintendent accountable but and just trying to find that balance they've been working on that and so this position had already been held by a appointee in francis barry uh who then resigned and in that situation antoine and several other people applied for the position and i guess that no one on the school board thought maybe we should google antoine and see if there's anything about him that should concern us or ask anyone in athens clark what they thought of antoine and after a really close vote they appointed him and so i i think it go you know it, it's not a leap to say that they probably regret appointing antoine after all the news that have come out about him that anyone anyone in athens clark could have told you if you just asked them i don't know how they missed this 
So some real shenanigans going on there in Athens, Clark County. It seems to rival all the stuff that Jessica Salaji seems to uncover down at All on Georgia. Her beat tends to be down in South Georgia. Uh, up in Northeast Georgia, we got our own shenanigans as well. Um, but I think we are going to leave that there for today. Uh, so Luke, thank you for joining us and telling us about all the craziness in your hometown. Well, it's not my hometown anymore. I live I live just outside Athens Clark now in Oglethorpe. It's a lot quieter. There's horses around. It, it, you know, it's better to be a, a slightly outside observer of Athens because uh, my blood pressure would be much higher if I was still there. Um, but yeah, thank thank you for letting me talk about my my former home. Yeah, you know, my former uh, home and you know, the, the community that's near and dear to my heart. And, you know, just, you know, quickly, I'd just say it's like, I, I, I know I, I'm being uh, kind of glib about the Antoine situation. And, and it's just, it's, it's really unfortunate because Clark could be doing so much better. And I, I hate that we're in this situation. Uh, I wish we had a school board that was not em- embroiled in all this mess and could actually focus on doing the important work of educating the people of Athens Clark. And so I'm hoping that this, it's sort of a wake-up call for all of them and that they, uh, you know, can find a way to push forward uh, more productively. And I also hope that, uh, even though I will not get to vote in that election, I hope that Athens gets to actually vote for their DA uh, this this cycle. So thank you, Kyle, for letting me talk about these things. Responsible governance. Maybe we'll be able to talk to you about that on the next Peach Pod. That was not today's Peach Pod, but we're going to leave it there anyways. We'll talk to you all again next time. Bye, guys. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.